glorification. I want you to say that with me now, glorification. And it's probably one of those Bible words. If you've been reading your Bible, you've been familiar with your Bible, you probably come across the word glorify or glorification. And you may be familiar with it, but maybe not one of those words where you go, I actually really know what that means. Well, today I'm going to be doing something a little bit different in style this morning. Rather than really preaching to you, which is really my preference, I'm going to be preaching but also teaching today. So I'm going to endeavor to keep you awake. I'm going to endeavor to teach you and to not just expand your word power, but to give you some real genuine hope for today and also as we look forward in the future. If you've ever been on a road trip before with children, either you were a child in the car or as a parent now, it doesn't matter how long the trip is, you are going to be asked what question? Are we there yet? Normally, it's are we there yet? And then five minutes later, are we there yet? Five minutes later, are we there yet? And my stock standard answer is Five more minutes. It doesn't matter if it's five hours or really five minutes. I tell my kids, it's only five more minutes. And there's something about the anticipation of arriving. I can't wait to get there. As the driver of the car, I actually enjoy the journey. I enjoy the traveling. But my children and my wife enjoy the destination. They just want to get there. And if they're naggy little children, particularly when they were young and they were crying for long periods of time, you just want to get to the destination. Well, you know, Jesus' disciples asked a very similar question. When Jesus was coming to the nearing the end of his ministry on earth, his disciples were following around and they were asking him, is the kingdom of God coming yet? In other words, they were saying, are we there yet? Now, these weren't children asking a nagging question. These were grown men asking with anticipation, is the kingdom coming? Is the promised kingdom here yet? Are we there yet? And Jesus tells them, not yet. But at any time, it could be coming back. And for 2,000 years, we've been anticipating and looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus. And that has to do with our glorification, has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ. When I was in Bible college, I left when I was 19 years old from Australia and left for the United States to go to Bible college. I picked up an accent and a wife. When I was there, and I'm very happy about the, the wife, the accent I can't do anything about. The nine years I lived in the U.S. was a tremendous time, but I was always anticipating coming back to Australia. And I remember the very first winter that I was in the United States. The place that I went to was in Missouri, which is right in the center of the country. And you have hot, humid summers and very cold, icy winters, and often it would snow. And I remember thinking to myself, quite sorry for myself, the first winter I was there, why am I here in Missouri? And if you say Missouri wrong, you can call it misery. Why am I here in Missouri when all my friends are back in Australia doing what I really want to do anyway? 
because my, my goal was to go to the United States, receive an education, but really to come back to Australia. And in my Bible reading, I came across a verse in the book of Titus, chapter number 2. And last Sunday, Pastor Dave Carr preached, and he made reference to these verses in his application. These verses here are something that is really powerful to me personally. Because you ever read your Bible or come across me asking God, God, I need answers. And then God actually gives you answers from his word. Now, I know that I wasn't the very first person to read this. But I felt at the time, God, you've given me something as if you're really talking to me. And I paid attention. And it was a very simple verse. The verse number 13, it's on the screen. It says, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It put things for me personally into perspective because I was thinking short term and I was thinking it's cold outside and it was cold outside. It was ice on outside. It's cold. Look how pasty and white I am when all my friends are are tanned. I'm still pasty and white. doesn't matter. But I will begin to think, God, you brought me here for a reason, something bigger and greater than just the here and now. We are anticipating and looking forward to the appearing of the glory of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that changed personally for me, my motivation. Actually, I printed that verse out. I put it on my bed next to me. And every time that I felt kind of sorry for myself or felt overwhelmed or felt a little homesick, I reminded myself that I'm living for something bigger and greater than just the here and now. And that's the same for you as well. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This keeps our life in perspective better than absolutely anything else, the realization that Jesus Christ could come back at any time. All the prophecies have been fulfilled. There's nothing stopping Jesus Christ from coming back at any moment. There's a common thought with heaven, and it's often often misunderstood with heaven and the second coming, and then we have the word rapture. All these things are often misunderstood, and we hear things like there's no more sin, there's no more pain, there's no more sickness, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death, no more aging. And But how do we know this? What we do is, We don't just make it up. We get into God's word and we begin to discover a wonderful truth called glorification and a long definition. And this is in your bulletin as well as on the screen. This is a long definition that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going through every single word. We're just scratching the surface this morning of a concept that is a huge concept that will transform your perspective and help you understand that you can live for something bigger and greater than just the here and now. We are made for eternity. This is the long definition. The radical transformation of both the body and soul of believers. Let me pause right there. This word glorification has to do with the changing of our physical bodies. This is a concept that may be very 
foreign to you. And honestly, we don't talk about this very often, but we consider it often in the way that we think about life and eternity. We think about having no more pain or no more sickness, no more death and no more aging, no more sin in our life. Well, what is that? That's what we call glorification. Over the course of this series, we've had a number of different things we've talked through, and I promise I'll get back to the definition, okay? We've talked through the biblical concept of justification, where we are declared not guilty. We've talked about a word called sanctification, where we have been set apart from our sin. We have the the beautiful pictures of adoption where we've been placed into God's family. We have edification where we're able to build up. And last week we talked about redemption, which is the freedom by payment of a ransom that was paid on our behalf by Jesus Christ. What we see here is that when a person passes away, they don't receive instantly a glorified body. There are a spirit that goes in, in the presence of God. And then later on, when Jesus Christ returns a second time and he calls up his church in the rapture and he calls us up together, those who have died receive a glorified body. And we who are living, hopefully we live to that time, we also receive a glorified body at that time. Back to the definition. Radical transformation of both the body and soul of believers. Perfecting them in holiness and thereby fitting them for eternal life on the new earth in perfect communion with the triune God. That is a long definition. And you may be thinking to yourself, I don't fully understand that. You see, to be in the presence of God, we can't be in the presence of God in our physical bodies the way we are today. Because we have what's referred to as a sin nature. When Moses, the great man Moses, was receiving the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai, he made a request of God. He says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I'll show you, but I can't really show you. Let me read in the book of Exodus, chapter number 33, verse 18. It says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And it's often referred to, this is a fun word to say, the Shekinah glory of God. That is the very essence and glory of God. And he says, show me your glory. Verse 20 says, but as God, but he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back and my face shall not be seen. He says, I'm going to hide you away and I'm going to cover you and you're just going to see the very back of my glory. And you know what happened after being on the Mount Sinai with God? Moses came back literally glowing. You read the next chapter, chapter number 34, and he says Moses was glowing with the glory of God. That to me is amazing. It's more than just a huge sunburn that he was suffering from. He was glowing from the presence of God. And God says, you can't see me. So in order to be in the presence of God, our bodies have to be changed. We have justification. 
which is the freedom from the penalty of sin. We have sanctification to be freed from the power of sin. And this morning we're speaking of glorification, which is this is a short definition for you. Freed from the presence of sin in body and soul. With sanctification, it's becoming more like Christ. And we never arrive while we're in our physical bodies here on earth. But one day, Jesus Christ will come and make us clean and make us pure and give us glorified bodies. Our principle for today is taken directly from Titus chapter 2, verse 13, which is a quote that we quoted earlier, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We see a number of passages throughout the Bible that talk about our glorified body and the anticipation that one day we will no longer be in this physical form. We will no longer be suffering from sin. We'll no longer be carrying around the burdens of our sin nature. And it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, And those whom He, that is God, predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. That's a real key phrase right there. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. You see, in Jesus' resurrection, we're going to go back. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead and he had a glorified body when he rose from the dead. There's a number of things that we don't know about glorified bodies. And I'll be very hesitant to speculate. Like we don't know how old you will be in your glorified body. We don't know. The Bible is silent on that, so therefore I'm not going to speculate. I'm really hoping that I, it's not like me as an 80-year-old. I Hopefully it's me pre-wrinkles. We don't know. We don't know how physically we're going to be in regards to Jesus when he came. He had the holes in his hands. We don't know if we're going to have the physical ailments, but we're not going to be inhibited by them. What we do know is that we are going to have a glorified body that is recognizable, able to be physically touched. We're able to eat food, which is good news. We will be able to, if it's like Jesus, be able to appear and disappear. I mean, that right there is pretty remarkable. We will be able to, as Jesus, appear and literally walk through walls, as it were. Now, that right there, I don't understand that because physically, I've tried to walk through a wall and it, it doesn't work. But in our glorified form, someday in the future, we have something to look forward to. This morning, I'm going to see two applications of this. And I'm fully admitting that we are just scratching the surface of a concept that hopefully will will encourage you to delve deeper into God's Word, that will challenge you to say, "I I want to know more about glorification. I want to know more about God's Word. That's why, without exception, I read God's Word every single day, and I'm still just going, "I I need to know more. I need to learn more. 
we're going to see two things. Hope for the present and then hope for the future. In the hope for the present, we're going to see some Bible characters that use the promise of the future glorified body as something that gave them comfort for their present circumstances. So let's delve straight into God's Word. We see in, first thing, thing is the hope in the present. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you want to study more about glorification, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great passage to study. Another good passage to study is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and also Romans chapter number 8. These are very important passages to study. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, it says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, glorification was promised by the law and the prophets of of old. And Jesus Christ and the apostles spoke of it. The apostle Paul wrote about it. And he says, if this life is all we have to look forward to, then we we have really no real hope. If this is the end, we have a pretty sorry life to live. But thank God we have something more to look forward to. Throughout the Bible, we see examples of hope that we find in people that go through really difficult circumstances. We see people like Job. If you're familiar with Job in the Bible, he's a man that lost his family. His children were all killed. He lost the respect of his wife and his friends. He lost his wealth. And one day, all his children and all his wealth was stolen from him. He lost his physical health. And what was his response in all of that? He says in Job chapter number 19, verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He's saying there, after I'm gone and dead, in my flesh I'm going to see God. That doesn't naturally make sense. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me, he says with an exclamation point. What he's saying there is, someday I'm going to receive a glorified body, and I'm going to be in face-to-face with God, my Redeemer. That gave him incredible hope when his circumstances around him were absolutely hopeless. We see people like Daniel. Daniel is often known as Daniel and the lion's den. Well, Daniel was, as a teenager, taken into captivity. And he was stolen from his nation of Israel and taken away into Babylon. And he was a man who was living in exile. He has a great deal of uncertainty. He stood up for what was right and was threatened with his life. He was thrown into the lions for praying to God and God miraculously spared him. He had incredible prophecies that we're still anticipating and looking through today and learning from in his, in his writings. In the very end of his book, the book of Daniel, he summarizes and brings it all into perspective when he says in, in chapter 12, verse 2, And many of those who sleep, and of those who have died, in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. He says there's a resurrection. There's something else to look forward to more than just the here and now. We see people that are grieving like in the New Testament. We see Martha. Martha was grieving for her brother Lazarus. 
And if you know the story of Jesus and Lazarus, Jesus miraculously called Lazarus out of the grave, and Lazarus, who was dead, was raised into life. But before he did that, Martha was weeping and crying and was grieving the loss of her brother. And Jesus comes to her in, in John chapter 11, verse 23, and says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She had a hope that one day her brother would rise again and have a glorified body. And if you know the rest of the story, Jesus then calls Lazarus out of the grave and miraculously raises him from the dead. We also see the Apostle Paul, who had a hope for the future. He had a hope in, for the future because in his present circumstances, they were dire. If you know the account of the Apostle Paul, he was a man who was a murderer. He was an oppressor of Christians. He was taken and God miraculously turned his life around where he was literally going to kill Christians. And he turns his life around and says, now I'm going to go to that same city and tell them about the love of Jesus. And with that, Paul suffered incredibly for his faith. He was beaten and stoned with stones. He was shipwrecked and he was whipped with whips and he was left for dead. And you look at his life and you go, that doesn't sound very appealing at all. But in his present circumstances, he was looking for something bigger and greater than just today. And he says in, in Acts chapter 24, when he was standing before a governor named Felix and defending his faith, he was putting things into perspective. And he says in verse 14, Believing everything laid down by the law written in the prophets, having hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection both of the just and the unjust. He says, I'm looking forward to the future. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He begins to put things into perspective. Put things into perspective of bigger than just the here and now. That's hope for the present. And as a hope for the present, let me ask you a question. Where do you find hope today? Do you find hope in your, yourself? Do you find hope in your wealth? Do you find hope in your own physical health? Where do you find your hope? Let me challenge you not to find your hope in the temporal, but let's look for the eternal, something bigger and greater than just ourselves. We need to find our hope in the anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. We have hope for the present. We also have hope for the future. So what is this glorified body? What is this all about? We live in a very dark world. As you begin to think about all the things in our world that are going wrong, and all the things in our world that are scary, that are unknown, we can be overwhelmed with all the uncertainty of wars and various things that are taking place. But we have something to look forward to. When Jesus was teaching his disciples, nearing the end of his ministry, he begins to teach his disciples about his return and say there's something more than just the here and now. And looking forward to the future. It says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, and then also in verse 6, this is Jesus teaching. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us. In other words, they're saying, are we there yet? 
Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. And Jesus teaches through Matthew 24 and teaches a number of different things through this passage. But in verse number six, he says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. You see, what we find in Scripture is that we have wars and rumors of wars. There is a rapture of of our bodies. There's a resurrection of the dead. There's a tribulation period. There's the return of Jesus Christ and the triumphal destroying of Satan, the binding of Satan, then the setting up of his kingdom known as the millennial kingdom. And I just went over a huge amount of information in a couple sentences right there. We have all this to look forward to, but we have the return of Jesus Christ. In order to comfort those who are grieving the loss of of loved ones, what happens to them? The Apostle Paul addresses that in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. It says in verse number 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. One day, we're going to be free from the presence of sin, and we'll be able to stand face to face with God, to be genuine in our worship. No more sin and no more death. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the passage continues on. In verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have passed away, they're going to rise from the dead. And I don't know how God's going to do that, but God is God. He's going to take the dead bodies and make them alive and make them up. And I don't understand, but that's what the Bible teaches. I don't know how he's going to take cremated bodies that have been spread across the ocean and all these things are going to be taken up apart. I don't know. The Bible is silent on what's going to happen with transplants. We don't know. But what we do know is something miraculous is going to take place that only God can do. Then it goes on in verse number 17. What about those who have not passed away? The Christians, the believers, the true believers in Jesus Christ, what's going to take place with their bodies? Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. The very next verse, verse number 18 says, Comfort one another with these words. We can have hope for the future because those who have passed away that know Christ as their Savior will be with God. Those of us, and I pray, I often pray, God, I'm anticipating your return. Not that I'm afraid of death. I am afraid of pain, but I'm not afraid of death. But I would love to be part of that raptured church that goes up. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51. In fact, that entire passage of of 1 Corinthians 15 teaches a great deal about this. But verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to die. But we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is a blink of an eye. You know, how fast is a blink of an eye? Like a split second. 
at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And it goes on in verses 54 and 55. O death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And Jesus Christ conquers sin and he conquers death. And we look at that, and to be honest with you, those passages we read, and you have to read them again and again and again, and begin to understand and scratch your head going, what does this look like? Because there's nothing on earth that actually looks like this at all. God's going to do something miraculous, or Jesus Christ is going to do something miraculous. And we're going to receive a new body. And I'm going to go through this next part really quickly, because the Bible doesn't give us a great deal of detail about the specifics of what's going to take place, but it does give us some general. And we find in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verses 42 through 44, we see four contrasts between the natural body or you know, the physical body and the glorified body. I'm going to see these four contrasts. Let's read verses 42 through 44. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And you read that and you go, what is that talking about? Let's break that down into four different contrasts between the natural and the spiritual. First of all, I'm just going to use the Bible words. We see perishable versus imperishable. This is where we get the understanding that we are free from the limitations of age. You are not going to grow old. Now, how old is your glorified body going to be? We don't know. But what we do discover and we begin to understand that our bodies are going to be in perfect form to fulfill whatever it is the plan that God has for us. In other words, we can never, ever use the excuse, I'm too old for that or I'm too young for that. We don't have the limitations of age. Things in our world naturally wear out. You know, people say, buy a Camry. They last forever. Or energize the batteries. They just keep going and going and going. But they eventually wear out. Whereas our glorified body will never, ever wear out. It says in verse 42, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. We won't be subject to the corruption and the decay and the natural aging of our physical bodies any longer. We also see, secondly, the contrast of dishonor versus glory. This is where we find that we are free from the presence of sin. We are set free from everything that sin inhibits us. I try to live a, a clean life, and, and I'm sure you do too. I try to live a life where when I do wrong, I repent of it, and I try not to do that again. But be honest with you, every single action I do, and if you're honest with yourself, you're the same, we filter it through our sin nature. We look at people when we naturally begin to assess them through our sin nature. And it inhibits our worship, it inhibits our, our freedom with the Lord, it inhibits our work with others. It says, And so in dishonor is raised in glory. We all have scars. We all have things that we remember of our past that we've done. Things that you think, 
Oh boy, I hope no one knows about that. And we're not here to, to hear your gossip stories and hear, you know, to, to find out your, your deepest, darkest secret. But on my body, I have different scars. I have one on my head because I walked into a car door. I have some on my knees because I fell over and there's some good ones there. And I have some on my fingers because I was doing work around the house even this week. And every single scar tells a story. In your life, you have scars because of sin that tell a story. But we often carry them around. They become things that inhibit us. And they stop us from moving forward because we think to ourselves, I can't do that because remember when, and we begin to fill the blanks in all the things that we've done in the past. We see weakness versus power. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. I don't know if your children are as rude as my children are, but my kids often remind me, you're old. Well, they look at my face and go, oh, you have wrinkles. Like, so will you one day. Uh, I named this one Caden and Tate and Riley. I have no wrinkles because of my wife Tammy, though. In our weakness, <coughs> we have inabilities. There's things that you are not able to do because of your physical ailments and physical weaknesses. There are things that God will, uh, will no longer have that excuse anymore. Now we'll no longer have any inabilities and anything stopping us from totally and completely serving God. Even excuses like, I'm tired. We think about things and being in the presence of God and hearing the heavenly choir singing out to God again and again and again, holy, holy, holy. And we think to ourselves, that kind of sounds boring and a little bit, how can we possibly do that? Because in our glorified bodies, we're not going to get tired anymore. And you imagine being in the very presence of God and every single time we sing holy, we're going, wow. It's a wow moment as if it was the very first time we've ever sung it because we will no longer have our weakness. We'll be, have power. We'll also have the natural versus the spiritual. Now, we will have a physical body in our glorified body, but it will be a different body. But it, what it means is we'll be in perfect harmony with the will of the Holy Spirit in our life. There's a constant battle in my life and in your life also between what I want to do and between what God wants me to do. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter number 7. And he was very transparent in his, in his inability. And he was a man that was saying, the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he goes back and forth. This is a constant struggle in my life. And he goes on in verse number 24 of Romans 7 and says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, there will be free from the barriers to truly worship God. In a moment's time, we're going to have communion, and we're going to take the bread, and re which represents the body of Jesus Christ, and we're going to remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and we remember the broken body that was broken for our redemption and for our salvation. We'll take the juice, and we'll take that little bit of juice out of the cup, and we'll, we'll drink that, which will remind us of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the covering and the remission of our sin. And we'll look at that, and we'll, we'll try to worship God, but there's a constant struggle in our life between that and like, oh, look at the ceiling. Or, or you begin to be daydreaming in a moment when we should be worshiping God fully and really in tune with Him, we naturally become distracted so easily. And 
I'll admit it because if you admit it too, because we all struggle with that. And there's going to be a time in our glorified bodies when there's absolutely no barriers of our worship. Nothing stopping me between me and God. No distractions, no tiredness, no worrying about what we sound like and others around us. No performance-based worship. It's totally between us and God. Philippians chapter number 3, verses 12 through 14. It gives us a perspective. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My challenge for you is what are you looking for? What are you waiting for? And as we prepare ourselves for communion now, don't you begin thinking about what Jesus Christ has done for you so that you can have the hope for your present and the hope for the future.